Thank you. Good morning, everybody, on this uh, Valentine's Day. We're so glad you are here. And, uh, and I, I, we didn't plan the pink. <laughs> I guess we were both thinking Valentine's Day. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. Oh, you weren't? I wasn't. Oh, my goodness. Well, there you go, on mind reading. What were you thinking? It matched. <laughs> it was match. Oh, there you go. There so, you go. uh... Our theme, we're going to team preach today from sitting down on a, on a very wide theme called Becoming a Good Gift in Your Masculinity and uh, Femininity. So I'm going to pray before we begin. And you know, in our culture, is very confusing, right? It's coming from every direction. But we want to offer you a revelation from God to, that kind of invades from heaven to earth as God speaks to us. So I invite you to just open up your hearts and let's pray and ask God to, to meet us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the living God, and you're alive, and you speak, and you offer us, Lord, manna from heaven through your word. And so, Lord, form Jesus in us through our masculinity and femininity that we might be a good gift to the world. And we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So our topic today, again, is becoming a good gift in your masculinity and femininity, and really looking at God's original intention for us. And, and this has large implications for all of us in this room, single married, uh, for how we understand ourselves, our identity, our sexuality, uh, decisions we make, how we actually even relate to God. So there's a lot of confusion today. You know, what does it mean to be a man? And tens of thousands of men from all over the world struggle with this. I and mean, I'm talking about from struggling with their masculinity from North America to China to Japan to India to Philippines to the Mideast to Europe, Caribbean, Russia, you name it. There's this, what does it mean to be a man? And, um, uh, and as a result, m many, many of us are stunted emotionally. Very few men receive from their earthly fathers affirmation. I'm proud of you. Great job. Uh, and as a result, many of us, uh, again, this is global, carry a hole in our hearts uh, of something just missing, because we didn't get it. So we were, we were fathered biologically, but we weren't necessarily fathered emotionally. And they were absent. And then, then add to that uh, the bombardment from the culture that, uh, of what masculinity is and seeing women as objects. And you just think about the pervasiveness of pornography and just women you know, being uh, body parts and advertising. And so... The result is we're passing on from gener generation to generation distortions of what masculinity is. And we ourselves, our wires are twisted and disordered in, in the way that we relate to ourselves, God, and the way we relate to, uh, to, to women in our, in our own masculinity. And so, yeah. and so what does it mean to be a man? I, I came across this book in a bookstore and was really curious about it because it was one of the staff picks. So I picked it up and I began reading the back of it, which really drew my curios curiosity in because he rode a horse across the country, okay, like in the 80s. How do you do that? And in record time, he also, since he was 17, Eustace Conway, from the time he was 17 years old, left home and lived off the land, which meant he made his own teepee, he made his own food, he made his own tools to catch his food. And, made the tools to catch the animals to make his teepee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so his 
exploits really drew me in. But as I read the book, I got more and more, not only disheartened, highly offended. Because the last great American meal, male also went through women like water. He was demanding, perfectionistic, critical, and very aware of how destructive his behavior was for others. So the John Wayne, great American male, uh, also that he was white, is an illusion. Next, though, what is a female? Is, uh, the, is, what is female? What does it mean to be woman? Is it to be like a uh, superwoman who's professional or Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor? Is it to be a superwoman who stays at home and has amazing domestic abilities? Or, when I was growing up, the female icon was Barbie. Barbie was actually born the same time I was. We grew up together, but my mother would not let me have a Barbie because she said a little girl does not need a, a doll with a woman's body. And I think probably my mother was right, although at the time I felt like an outcast uh, because everybody else had Barbies. But in 2006, research shows that girls exposed to Barbie at a young age expressed greater concern with being thin. Thin. Now, now it's 10 years later, 2016. Barbie has made the cover of Time magazine. Barbie is getting a makeover. Barbie is now going to come in uh, petite, tall, and curvaceous. Okay. So maybe Barbie is becoming a little bit more realistic and diverse. She'll be coming in all shades of skin and hair types and body types but the changes are still superficial. Friends, beauty is much deeper than skin and much beyond skin. And so there's a lot of confusion about gender as well going on in the culture. Uh, and so, for example, Facebook has 58 genders you can choose from on your page. So, uh, you know, a gender, pangender, trans, trans female, you name it. And, uh, uh, and so, it's not simply male and female any longer. In fact, in Norway, there was an article recently about a 20-year-old young lady who uh, says that she's a, a cat trapped in a woman's body. And uh, so, but what's interesting is that this gender confusion, uh, we think it's new to our generation. It's really not. It's been going on uh, for centuries. For example, Nero, the emperor of Rome in 65 AD, killed his wife, married another woman. But later that year, he married a young boy, young boy, and had him castrated. Uh, and then he would have him appear in public life, this young boy, as his wife. And he dressed this little boy up as a, the empress. Uh, and then he, then he married another young boy. Uh, and Nero became the husband of the boy, and he made the boy his bride. So a lot of confusion going on there in Rome, all right? Uh, and so... Well, the, the, so the point is this has been going on for... Yeah, it's nothing new. This is nothing new. And so what we want to say is um, gender is important. Um, at, what's the first thing you notice when someone walks in a room? We usually notice whether they were male or female. And so gender is important. Uh, 
Pete and I are not same-sex attraction experts. And we are not gender identity experts. And what I mean by gender identity is that's how you think and feel about what, uh, the body you're living in. So although we're not experts, we though have been learning and studying from people who have been immersed in this gender world for 35 plus years. And we are very aware of the vicious debate that is going on around gender. Uh, but our, our intention today is to give a biblical framework and a vision um, to give uh, a Christian, our Christian understanding of masculinity and femininity so we can anchor ourselves in God's purpose um, or some of God's purpose for our masculinity and femininity. God bless you. <laughs> and so in Genesis 1... Uh, we read as God creates the universe, he creates then humanity. So, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, extremely important text. Um, and, and so the invisible God, understand God is invisible. He puts into creation male and female genders as a visible, uh, concrete manifestation of his invisible nature. In other words, we see God through this masculinity and femininity of man and woman. And so men embody certain qualities of God that are different than women who embody also certain qualities of God. So we need the male and female qualities of God that reside in each gender. We need them both. Could you imagine a world where it was only men? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Awful, you know. Or can you imagine a world that's only women? I mean, it wouldn't be as bad, but it'd be sad as well. <laughs> Because there's a glory and a beauty and a richness in, in the genders. And, and so the presence of male and female on earth creates new, all kinds of possibilities. One very obvious one is that, that sperm and egg and uh, human beings are able to be created through men and women. Uh, and civilization would not continue without male and female. I mean, it wouldn't be a, a world. So we just don't need each other, however, biologically. We one gender balances and draws out the other in a manner that creates a whole. I'll say it again. It's very important. So single or married, one gender draws out and balances the other in a manner that creates a, a wholeness that's not found just with us separately. So we just don't need God. We actually need each other, and God created us uh, like that. That's why at New Life Fellowship, female leadership is so important. Because we understand females bring something to the table as leaders that, you know, men do not. Uh, and, and so, but, but the problem is that after God creates, you know, male and female, uh, sin enters the human race. And uh, Adam and Eve uh, rebel against God, and a break happens in that relationship. And, and uh, so Adam and Eve end up hiding, and then we pick it up here. God releases what's called the consequences of the sin. Or the, 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 he looses the fall or the curse, as it's called in theology. And so to the woman, verse 16 in yellow, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, that verse 16, which is so important because we see for, for God it releases a battle of the sexes. It actually enters human history. It has been going on since the fall. It wasn't God's original intention, but since sin entered the human race, there has been this battle of genders going on. And so... Uh, the text, if you were going to, you know, take it apart, he says, Lord says, now a consequence of your rebellion against me is not simply you're disintegrated in your, in, internally, 
you're broken in your relationship with me. Uh, but now relationally, male and female now are broken. So the word here for female, he goes to, to, to Eve, he says, your desire will be for your husband. Now for women, there will be a, a brokenness that, yes, you want a man, but you'll actually want to absorb him. You'll actually want to devour him. A party will actually want to control him. I hear an amen for that. So, uh, and then, men, he will rule over you. Now, now, men, instead of, you know, in a positive way, bringing their maleness, will now want to dominate and subjugate. It's interesting. Oppression of women has been a global issue since the beginning of time. Uh, hasn't stopped. In fact, the word for des- desire there is the word for a tiger about to devour its prey. And so, you- you've got this relational brokenness now, in history, uh, of sexual relational brokenness between men and women. So we shouldn't be surprised at the level of brokenness all around us in all of its many shapes and, and forms. We are all in this room broken in our masculinity or our femininity. Uh, but at the cross, this is the beauty of the gospel, is so many things happen at the cross of Jesus, right? Our, our salvation, our, our redemption, uh, but at the cross as well, Jesus comes to restore our masculinity. He comes to restore your femininity uh, out of the brokenness. The great power of, of the cross is that he restores us so that, again, we can be a good gift to each other, which was God's original intention. So you read about Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, male and female. But there is this restoration that comes through the blood of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit and the cross and the resurrection that enables us to actually be Healed, delivered, and restored. Mm. So the purpose of our masculinity and our femininity is to be a good gift to others. Actually, that's what we're created for. We're created to be a good gift to one another. But we bring our gift uniquely through our maleness and our femaleness. So whether you're married or single, no manipulation, no using, No allowing yourself to be used. No withholding, no put-downs, no criticizing, no violence, no controlling. Now, for women, how is the gift we bring as females different than the way males bring their gift? If you think about the body, male and female, our bodies actually have a theology to them. We can learn a lot about God's purposes for us by paying attention to our bodies. So think with me for a moment in your mind's eye, how is the feminine body different than the male body? Well, women are created with an empty space within to be receptive, to be life givers. Our breasts are capable of giving sustenance. So our bodies, our outer bodies actually reveal the inner truth that our lives as females are oriented toward receiving and then nurturing new life. Now, not every woman will be a biological um, mother or give birth or nurse a child, but the theology of our bodies, just our bodies alone reveal that we have an innate heightened capacity to nurture. As women, we have a heightened capacity. It's not that men don't need to nurture. They need to nurture. But we have an attunement that actually uh, is probably then 
uh, leads them, models them, exemplifies. We actually embody nurture and lead them into nurture as well. But nurture means then we're not critical. We're responsive. We know we, we experience people intimately. We call forth life. And I see this in Scripture in a lot of the women. As a matter of fact, that, it has continued right down through church history. Many churches have more women in them than men. And one of the reasons for that, I suspect, is that women innately are more receptive than men. And, it's, and we, by our lives, we call men to responsiveness as well. Of course, then there's our, our wonderful model of Mary, Jesus' mother, who exemplified um, saying yes to God with her body. I mean, she trusted God with her body, and she said yes to receiving and nurturing life. Then there was Jesus' friend Mary, Mary of Bethany, who exemplifies for us that knowing, true knowing, comes from being. See, we live, as she did, in a culture that values, we think knowing is analyzing or doing or productivity. But she knew true knowing was being with Jesus versus serving Jesus, doing for Jesus. So we bring that as well. In my family growing up, I received a lot of positive messages about my femininity. Um, I saw affection between my parents. I, I uh, would hear of my father's devotion to my mother. Motherhood was valued. There was always a nursing. We had a big family. There's still nursing mothers on, on the couches in our home. Uh, roles were flexible amongst my six siblings growing up. There was four girls, three boys, and uh, all of us did the dishes. All of us mowed the lawn. It wasn't that there were female roles or male roles, so to speak. And there was no favoritism. There was no gender favored over the other. So although I had all those wonderful messages that really internalized beautiful anchors in my femininity, there was something, though, that was <coughs> seriously lacking. Although my parents met our, our needs and expressed their love by doing for us and providing for us, we were not emotionally connected as a family. We, we did not enter into uh, each other's hurts, sadnesses, disappointments, pain. And so I came into adulthood, marriage, and early parenting with a huge gap. I really didn't understand intimacy. I did not know really how to nurture. And I can remember my kids were little. I could, I, I could nurture them physically, but I really did not know how to enter into their world emotionally. And so I had to learn. I had to learn how to feel my feelings. I had to learn how to express my preferences. I had to learn how to do self-care. I had to learn how to listen. I had to learn how to emotionally connect with others that I might be able to nurture others and become a good gift to others in nurturing life in them. So today, I can say the most important thing for me, next to my love for God and my love for Pete, is to stay emotionally connected to my daughters, to be to into, 
intimate contact in their lives. You know, Scripture says that God cares for us as a newborn. Um, and in the same way that he hears our cries, he hears our hunger, he hears our discomforts, I hear my daughter's cries. I hear my daughter's discomforts. I hear their pain. And uh, so growing up, I didn't always know how to nurture uh, their sense of self, that they might experience themselves as a good gift, that they then would become that good gift for others. But I learned, and I now know how to call out to them the fact that they are a delight. I reflect back to them, there's nobody like you. I, again, I want them to experience themselves as good gifts so they can become gifts. And throughout their growing up years, especially when their bodies begin to change, I would never, ever, ever criticize their bodies. Now, I might criticize the way they clean the bathroom, but I would never criticize their bodies. In my marriage, I nurture Pete through affirmation. I quit criticism. I'm still on that journey. Thank God. <laughs> I nurture Pete through physical affection and, and entrusting myself to him. Heart, mind, and body. And I nurture Pete by not trying to control him, especially in areas like the domestic front for me, which would be easier to control and ignore his preferences. It's interesting, you know, Jerry and I, we do do a lot of things together, and so we have a small group in our home, and it's just amazing to watch her with the small group and myself. And that nurturing uh, gift that comes out of her femininity, of the way she holds every member of that group, and she'll say, sit down, we've got to pray for them, you know, and, and just one by one, you know, caring for them and concerned about them. Even the sermon, you know, as we were working on it during the week and, and having to time it out, you know, and say, stop reading, get over here, you know, and we'd start talking about how we're going to end it and kind of today and bless you, and she starts weeping, and I'm like, oh my gosh, just like tell them what it is, you know, and but she brings this nurturing peace to me and to the whole. That's just so, it's such, such a gift. And, and, you know, again, this for most of my young adult life, this laid dormant. Mm -hmm. But I had to uncover it. And I have really tapped into, I think, um, yeah. this, this um, innate part of my uh, femininity that God put there. Tango. Tango. I know of a single woman named Katrina who's actually nurturing the lives of others through tango. She loves tango. Dance tango. Yeah. Yep. Katrina loves tango. And this is what she says. She says, not everyone in the tango world is living a moral life. But my presence there and the fact that I'm not there to attract every male or hook up or sleep around she goes, I am nurturing the spiritual life of others. People everywhere need to be nurtured emotionally, morally, and spiritually. So if women have a heightened capacity to nurture, 
Men have a heightened capacity, we're going to summarize it one word, to initiate uh, over and against being passive. So again, um, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent comes to Eve to tempt her, uh, she eats and it says she gave also the fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate it. But what's so critical about this text is Adam is silent. Adam is passive in that Genesis 3 account. He was present, but he doesn't act. And the great struggle of so many of us men is passivity. Uh, and we lose that God-given capacity to, in a sense, I, I like the word protectiveness, a, a good fighter. God, one of God's revelations of who he is is God's a fighter. In Exodus 14, when they're fleeing Pharaoh's troops and they're approaching the Red Sea and they're trapped, and uh, Moses says, be still, the Lord will fight for you. One of God's quality is a, he's a good fighter. In Revelations 2 and 3, we see Jesus coming to the churches where there's, where there's, where there's you know, Jezebel and they're letting stuff go on, and, and Jesus comes in and he fights. Okay, he brings a strength. He goes to the temple, he brings a fight. The, 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 the lovely quality, God-given quality for men uh, is this ability to initiate, to protect. Now, culture tells us, who, you know, how do I get a sense of my masculinity of, of who I am? And our culture says, you know, get a truck. You know, get a big truck, you know. And, and somebody showed me first serve as a picture of a bodybuilder. Because I want to be a bodybuilder, this guy with, you know, thin waist and massive shoulders, you know. And, and I said to this young guy, I said, that's fine. It's fine to get a big truck, and it's fine to be a bodybuilder. The question is just your identity is deeper than that. Your identity is grounded in, in Jesus, and you're loved, and you don't have anything to prove, but you were created to be a good gift as, your, as, your, as a masculine person to the world. And, um, and so what happens is we end up bullying people to be tough. Uh, we remain disintegrated. And so out of these wounds, uh, which we carry, so many of us men... And I've got more, I've got plenty, you know, I could talk about my background, but why go into that, you know, Italian-American background. But out of our mother wounds and father wounds, we go looking for love in all the wrong places or looking for affirmation in the wrong places. So we end up in addictions, uh, all sorts of addictions, which is, which is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. What it means by that is uh, addiction, is whether it's alcohol or pornography or shopping or, or work, whatever it might be, uh, it's, I'm looking for a touch, I'm looking to be loved, I'm looking to be cared for. That is a good need, because that was meant to be met by God. But we go for the wrong places, and we end up in addictive behaviors, and our masculinity, again, gets castrated and denuded. And we become cannibalistic, you know? We end up using people. We consume people like cannibals, you know? And they're objects we take, um, and uh, we objectify. We go in for the kill, and we end up not relating to people. Uh, and, and so, again, men, we have a heightened capacity to initiate. Again, not be passive. Our essence is to be focused, to give life, to impart life to others. So what that means for me, for example, is you know, I four, our four daughters are 20 to, to 30 years old. But for me, to, 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 is to initiate right now. It's like, to, like they're doing fine, right? And, and it'd be so easy just to kind of coast because things are good versus, no, I want to bring a mentoring piece to my daughters in their 40s. So I, to think about it, what they need to take initiative. So yesterday, for example, it was, you know, I went to see one of my daughters who was in Manhattan and took her out to lunch. Because uh, it was a day before. It was a day before Valentine's Day, and she's in college. And so I went, you know, and I, it was cold, you know, but I, 
but it would have been easy not to go. But to, to initiate out of my masculinity is to think about my daughters. It's to not settle for less in our marriage and say, I want our marriage to be all that God wants, you know, what is important to Jerry, be asking the questions, taking initiative, thinking about it, not just kind of riding everything's good and stable. Uh, new Life Fellowship, even how I approach New Life of initiating, saying I want New Life to be all that God's called her to be, all of it. And I'm going to bring my best self to initiate to serve New Life Fellowship in any way that I can. And, uh, and the same with emotionally healthy spirituality is we seek to serve churches around the world out of our ministry here at New Life that I'm going to not just show up and give an old, you know, just a, a recycled message and here it is, take it or leave it versus I'm going to initiate to bring energy and life to, to them. And so our bodies reveal as men, we have stronger bodies uh, and, and that reveals the strength, that sense of, of protectiveness. And, and so there's a, there's a call for us to wake up. As Jerry said, in every woman, there's dormant or sleeping, this nurture gift, good gift. In every man, there is an initiator, regardless of your spiritual gifts and temperament. It may be sleeping, it may be dormant, it may be buried, but it's in you, and it's meant to come out. So let me just tell you a story or two of what that might look like. We have a friend whose 18-year-old son had gotten into drugs, and he started stealing from his family. Father tried to help him, and the mom, unsuccessfully, eventually got to the point the father said, okay, uh, uh, you know, you cannot be living here anymore and because uh, you're stealing from us. I'm your father, and I will not accept this behavior, and I love you. And so he changed the locks, took all of his clothing, put it outside the door at night, and said, you're out. 18 years old. And he ended up sleeping on the street. And uh, as he's homeless, the father wept. The father then gathered a group of friends and said, will you pray with me for my son? And he stormed heaven for that young man. Uh, and over time, eventually that son did come back to Christ and uh, now is, is married to a lovely young lady. Uh, initiative looks like another father, a young man named Jeff, uh, just gotten his license, was a decent driver, you know, and his father finally got this new car that he wanted, a beautiful new car and uh, for the family. And so the first day, so, lets the son take the car out, go to basketball practice, pick up a couple of friends. As the son's backing out of the garage, he scrapes the side of the car, and uh, this chrome on the side comes off the car, and now it's scratched. Now, what would your father say? So the son prepares himself for, like, what's coming. And uh, instead, the father picks up that chrome piece that had fallen off the side of the car, opens the trunk, and puts it in the trunk. And then he hands the keys back to his son. And he says, have a good time at your practice. Well, there was some clear work that father did to initiate that with his son. So on the basis of my sonship as a son of the living God, who saved me and adopted me as a son, Galatians 4, I have authority now. I'm no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. You're now a son of the living God. And the cross, through the cross of Jesus, it now grounds me. It now orients me into the, into the right sense of what it means to be a man. And 
So we want to get in touch with that focus, that resoluteness, that, that masculinity, that strength, so we can offer a good gift to women, of course, single or married, but to the world. And we can give, bring then a good gift of ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I think of the countless times Pete has risen to the occasion when I mean, I've been overwhelmed by life, or we have been overwhelmed by life, or, and uh, whether it's the kids' education or situations that we're in, and I just didn't have the wherewithal to conquer this mountain, and he would charge the mountain. I can remember one time we were in another country. So we're in another country. We don't speak the language. Uh, our family was in a tight con confines. We really needed to kind of get out of our confines um, for the day. But the thought of renting a car in a foreign country where you drive on another side of the road and you can't even understand the signs, like, petrified me. Um, but our family really needed this. Um, and, but Pete took the bull by the horns, and he found a place to rent a car, and he got that car, and he had the courage to, to drive that car in this foreign country where he didn't understand, we didn't understand even what the signs were saying. But his message to me was, I will conquer whatever mountain I need to conquer for the sake of our family. So we, we want to um, transition here into uh, the language of sex. Because your sexuality, we've been talking about sexuality, your sexuality is your maleness and your femaleness. Sex is the language of our sexuality. You and I have grown up in a culture, in a world, where we have breathed in the belief that sex is an activity. Sex is something you say, not something you do. Sex is not an activity. It's a communication. It's a language. I'll say it again. Sex is something you say, not something you do. All touch is language. So, for example, if you um, hug someone, a lot of us are hugging each other downstairs, right, after the service, what are you saying you're not saying anything necessarily with, what are you saying when you hug that person? What are you saying when you hold someone's hand? What are you saying when you do a fist bump? All our touch is a language. We've been duped into believing sex is an activity, but it's a language. So, intercourse and nakedness was designed to, to say, I love you totally, faithfully, and permanently. I give myself entirely to you and will hold nothing back. You see, genitals comes from the word generation. And we're, we're ready to bring our genitals together when we're saying yes to our past and our future. I'm going to give my past to you and my future to you forever, totally. Now, if you use nakedness and intercourse to mean I'm attracted to you or I want to be close to you, if it's only meant to say that, then how will you say or what part of your body will you use when you want to say, I want to give my life to you? So as Christians, 
we speak our vows of, our, of loving each other totally, faithfully, permanently. We speak our vows at the altar. And then it's through the language of our bodies that we seal those vows. So, in, in actually, this is, this is so challenging, and we know that in our culture. We know that our, our, our way of connecting and bonding is screwed up, okay? We, our wires are all crossed. So in a, in a few weeks, Joe Terry is going to be leading a course called Relationship Self-Defense. And one of the things he's going to be doing, and I'm particularly addressing singles, because this, this course is for singles, uh, and, but really, it does apply, applies to marrieds too. The way that you attach or connect or bond with a person of the opposite sex, there is a healthy process. And you have to keep five areas in mind. You've got to know the person. You've got to trust the person. You begin to rely on the person. Then you commit to the person. And then the touch comes. But these have to be in proportion to each other. Actually, the one on the right should never be higher than the one on the left. The one, so for example, I should never, the one, I should never start trusting someone more than I know them. You know somebody for two weeks, okay, and now you're giving them your apartment key or your ATM card, okay? Don't do that. We don't trust, trust slowly. Or we don't rely on someone. Rely should never be higher than trust. Trust has to be earned. Then we rely. Sometimes we make commitments, and yet we, the person's unreliable. Okay? In our culture, we barely know people, but touch has gone up to the top, and we're having casual sex. Okay? So... Do we have, is there, there's not another one. The, the model, the, the, the healthy model is that these are actually all sort of moving at the same time with the, with the right one never going above uh, the left. And again, you're, we're gonna, Joe's going to unpack this in that relationship self-defense uh, self cor uh, course because this is so important for wholeness and holiness. So... Um Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman is going to give us a, a glimpse of how he deals with us today. I mean, here she is. The Samaritan woman is a broken, immoral woman. But Jesus comes to her. He restores her dignity and invites her to drink of living water. We're going to do that right now with you. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward, and let's all stand together. <coughs> And that Samaritan woman, out of her femininity brokenness and her sexual brokenness, Jesus comes into her life, offers her living water, heals, restores her, and she becomes ashy like a, an apostle, goes to her village, and the whole village comes to Christ. It's quite amazing. And, uh, and so he does that for us. Now, that, that uh, picture up there is Jesus on the cross. From, it's, a, it's a rendering of John chapter 19. When they pierced Jesus' side, Blood came out and water came out. And the blood for forgiveness comes out. And then water came out. And water in John is the Holy Spirit's power. And uh, we want to invite you to the cross, all of us to the cross, 
for both forgiveness and for the power of the Holy Spirit, for the kind of restoration, the kind of deliverance, the kind of healing that Samaritan woman experienced in her masculinity, uh, and she became a good gift to the world. Femininity. Femininity. Thank you. You know, uh, a number of years ago, the Sistine Chapel was restored, the ceiling. And before that, before they did that restoration, they had no idea of the brilliance of the colors on that ceiling. The grime had covered over, had muted, had actually made invisible the beauty of that ceiling. And I think of myself and all of us really in this room that in one way or another, grime has covered over our gifts. And so I would like to first address women. Women, I want to acknowledge the wounds you carry as females. Wounds of rejection. Wounds of emotional and physical abandonment. Wounds of being used, oppressed, diminished, not taken seriously, shamed, favoritism, or emotional underdevelopment. I want to tell you this morning that you are beautiful. You are already beautiful. You may have some work to do to remove some of the grind or to develop areas that have been underdeveloped, but you are a lovable, powerful woman. And God has given you your femininity as a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing to nurture life in others and be a good gift to them. To men. Men, I want to acknowledge wounds you carry as males in the ways that we have emasculated you through criticalness, rejection, emotional and physical abandonment, shame, being diminished, used, abused, violence, emotional underdevelopment. You are good. You are good. You are a lovable, powerful man. God has given you your masculinity to initiate and protect and to bring that good gift to all of us. So I want to take a moment and just have us take you know, 30 seconds or so and, and come to the cross first for any forgiveness that needs to be done. Uh, and again, I want you to see the side of Jesus. Blood comes out for forgiveness. Water comes out for living water of life to cleanse us and empower us. So some of us, there are places you've been wounded or maybe you've inflicted some wounds on other people. 
and you know the garbage and the sewerage, perhaps in your conscience, in your mind. It's been seared, perhaps, and shame. And I want to invite you, I want to invite all of us right now to, you know, to take our, you know, when we talk about gender and sexuality, it's just, just so painful for so many of us. And, and, but the wonder of the cross is we can bring that and all of it, and we bring our wounds and we put it in the wound of Jesus and let his blood and let the spirit cover that. And we live in a place of receiving cleansing out of deep confession. And so I'm just going to just, you know, invite you to close your eyes for, with me together. Maybe your hands just open up towards heaven, your palms up. And if anything comes to your mind right now by the Spirit of God, just bring that right now to the side and the wound of Jesus on that cross. So, Lord, I I carry everyone in this room right now in the name of Jesus to the cross. And, Lord, all the wounds, things that we even right now are are aware of and things that we are not because they're too deep. And we carry, Lord, our sins. Lord, we bring them right in and put it right in your wound, Lord Jesus. And thank you, you bore the judgment, the wrath that that deserves. And so, Lord, now let blood flow in this room. Your blood wash us clean from sin. Lord, let your spirit flow in power, Lord, and cleanse us. Lord, let it come in power and renew us. Let it restore us. Let it wipe off the the, the junk that keeps us from our true masculinity and femininity, Lord. Free us, I pray, in the name of Jesus in this room, Lord, that we might be good gifts, nurturing and initiating. (coughs) And so, receive right now the, the love and the mercy of God for you that flows from the cross of Jesus and let it go into the deepest places of your being and cleanse you and free you and break those chains off you that you might rise up as the woman he has called you to be. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth. You're unrepeatable. Your good gift is like no other. And may you man rise up in your masculinity because we have no other male like you on the face of the earth. You too are unrepeatable. And may the Spirit of God breathe on you to be a good gift to the women around you, to the young people around you, to the elderly around you, to the people around you. And may you see their dignity and affirm them in it as well and be a blessing. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Let's sing together. There's another Mary in Scripture that really is a model for all of us in our experience of brokenness. And that was Mary Magdalene, who really came to understand her sexual and relational brokenness, whether it was by her own doing or someone else's doing. But she knew she needed mercy. She knew she needed Christ 
to help her in these, in these areas of brokenness. So I want to invite you, like Mary of Magdalene, who risked scorn and contempt, she broke through the wall of shame to get to Jesus, to get what she needed to become a good gift. Wow, it's beautiful. So we're going to close here in prayer, and I'm gonna, uh, I want to bless you uh, and ask God to restore the good gift of your gender to the world. So as we close, uh, there's be some prayer teams to your right, and so afterwards, you're welcome to come and receive prayer for a n- number of issues that maybe we touched on. We obviously did not go down that road, but there's some place for the power of God to touch you. Please come forward, and the Lord's table's to your left to come and eat and drink of Jesus, who is our life, uh, and come to him through the Lord's table. All right, so I, I want to invite you to Maybe open your hands up like this towards heaven. I'm going to bless it. We're going to close the service. Now, God has made a way through his mercy at the cross so that you can receive wave after wave after wave of his love. So his love can penetrate into the deepest, deepest places in the core of your being. So may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you. May may his love just now overwhelm you and soak through your mind and your heart and your spirit. May his love drench you now by the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord awaken in you. For all you females in here, may the Lord awaken that, that gift of nurturing, that heightened grace to nurture life everywhere you go. And... For every man here, may the Lord awaken initiative and crush passivity that you might welcome the good gift of other people as well as bring a good gift to those around you. So may you be a blessing as you leave this place, creative, fruitful, and life-giving as male and female. And may Jesus be glorified through you wherever you go this day and tomorrow and this week. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.